Welcome to What The If News. This week, actual breaking news. Breaking, breaking. We interrupt this podcast for breaking news, new special report. This is real special report music. Oh, yeah. Classic. And uh, Matt Stanley is here from uh, New York University, as well as uh, Gabby Panicia, as always, um, from Rockefeller University, where they are drinking champagne starting at maybe six <laughs> in the morning or something. What's, what's, what's all the excitement over there? What's the breaking news? So our Rockefeller fella? University uh, breaking news is that uh, my mentor and one of the professors here at Rockefeller, uh, Charles M. Rice, uh, was just awarded uh, the Nobel Prize, or one third of the Nobel Prize for the discovery of hepatitis C virus. All right. Well, he gets some celebratory music. Come on down. You won the Nobel Prize. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually how they do it in Stockholm. I think so. Yeah. And what did he, uh, so tell us, what did he win? First, yeah, what's his prize? What what does he actually get? I actually am not 100% sure, but like, I, I think it's the Nobel Prizes. You, it's divided, if it's divided up, it's the division of a million dollars between however many people got it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And bragging rights. Yeah. Emphasis on bragging rights, because mm, it is rights. the single highest award in science. So, yep. I, I, you know, I, I think you aimed pretty low. Just <laughs> Yeah, I think you also get a um, commemorative, um, you know, the, the, the prize itself, a medallion. Yes, right? so the, the medal. That's right. You get the, you get the medal. And um, uh, for those of us who are interested, for those of you who are interested, by the way, uh, this kind of reminds me, we, we've had a very special guest, uh, Dr. Brian Keating, uh, some time ago. If you go to whattheif.com, you can find all our episodes or right on your podcast app right now you scroll back to earlier episodes and look for brian keating um who uh has has a funny story about the nobel prize and a wonderful book called yeah a whole book losing, about it yeah. losing the nobel prize and he <laughs> talks about the the kind of spell of this prize in the world of science so matt actually if you just real quick for those who don't know what exactly is this and what is its stature what does it mean for charles dr rice and his colleagues um, who have received this. Uh, it means that um, in some very abstract sense, the global scientific community has chosen their contributions for a specific thing um, to be uh, most worthy of note for all the work done um, in that field of science for this year, here, physiology and medicine, yeah? Yep. Right, right. And there's many... Um, there's quite a few prizes for different, you know. In, in yeah, that's right. So there's one physics and one for chemistry and peace and um, uh, physiology and medicine. If I remember right, physiology and medicine was actually the very first one endowed by Nobel. Oh, um, because that's what he was primarily concerned with. Um, and all I should say, all of this money comes from um, Nobel's will. Uh, his fortune was made by inventing dynamite um, <laughs> back in the late 19th century. Uh, and as the story goes, he was he thought it was going to bring world peace. It did not. Um, and this was his attempt to 
try and uh, honor the better parts of human nature instead of the more destructive ones. Interesting. Did he think it would create world peace in the sense that we thought, and maybe they have, uh, uh, nuclear weapons? Yeah, same as always, right? If I, if I invent something so horrible and destructive, so horrible. no yeah. one will ever go to war again. And that's been true since, you know, the crossbow. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the crossbow is not really a great building resource, you know, construction resource. Dynamite is has its positive uses. It has its positive uses, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, Gabby, tell us, um, and as we've mentioned before, for those of you who don't know, but it's especially pertinent uh, for today, that uh, you are at Rockefeller University, which is a special place also in the history of science, especially in biology. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many, in fact, I think it may have the highest concentration of Nobel Prize winners. It does. Yeah. So this makes place. 25. 25. Oh, nice. Wow, that's yeah. great. In uh, it's a, is it a hundred years old? A little over a hundred years. Yeah. yeah. That's more yeah. than most countries. Yeah. Yeah. 119. Wow. wow. 119 at one. Yeah. 119 years and uh, one place. And so um, tell us about, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about Dr. Rice's discovery. What is? Why does he get this three hundred thirty thousand dollars? Three three hundred thirty thousand three hundred thirty three dollars and thirty three cents. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to share among his this, yeah. So this goes. This prize goes to Harvey J. Alter, Michael Houghton, and Charles M. Rice, who's, who's my mentor. So shout out, I guess. <laughs> shout out. And yeah. This is for the discovery of hepatitis C virus. So. Hepatitis disease, essentially, inflammation of the liver, um, is was a disease that, that we weren't sure of the causes of it for a while. And eventually, we were able to identify hepatitis A and B viruses, uh, I believe, as part of the work of Alter and Houghton. Uh, but then we were discovering that that wasn't the full story, that people were still getting hepatitis from blood transfusions, despite the fact that they were now screening for antibodies against the other viruses. So even if they were infected with these other two, you, you remove those. Somehow there was something else lurking in the shadows that we couldn't figure out what it was. And so that's what these guys get the award for. And what's really great is that uh, there actually is a cure now for hepatitis C virus. And although it's not yet, I think, perfectly widely distributed, people generally do respond very well to treatment. And it's greatly reduced the amount of people who are dying from this, who are acquiring it and dying from it. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading on, on, on in the Nobel Prize um, sort of announcement when they're describing the story there they're saying that uh, basically it saves uh it can save the lives of millions of people and possibly uh eventually eradicated from the earth. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is great. Pretty amazing. Astounding. So um a virus I'm going to take us way back so super basic so I can explain this properly to um I don't know, about three-year-olds. Someone challenged us, by the way. If you're still out there, we're, Matt is still working on it. Someone challenged us for in our on our main show, which, by the way, is on usually uploaded on Fridays, What the If. Um, one of the challenges was to describe, uh, to teach quantum mechanics to three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So oh. we're working on that curriculum. I'm working on it. Yeah. I think the three-year-olds may be 30 by the time we have the curriculum. In but then case, it'll be very easy. Yeah. They'll be able to understand it. It'll be great. Um, but so anyway, uh, for viruses... So the coronavirus, it's all in the news. We're, we're all paying attention to it. And so that is something that we, you can breathe in pretty much, you know, or you, you take it in through your nose or your mouth or ears or something. <laughs> and um, hepatitis, 
when I read this, I was like, oh, that's I've heard of that. Um, fortunately, I haven't encountered it. I don't think I know anyone who's had it, but I but it's possible. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a virus that it sounds mm-hmm. like is only in blood. And how does yeah. it get there? Sure, it's bloodborne. Um, well, I mean, you get it from contact with infected blood from another person. Right. One of the ways that it was spreading was via blood transfusion. So essentially, if you need blood and you're at a hospital and they hook you up to another bag of someone else's blood that's your blood type, if that blood was uh. infected with the virus, then you are now infected with the virus. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so right. So when you, yeah, when you go to give blood, then I suppose it sounds like one of the things they have to test it for is, are there viruses in that blood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, they, hepatitis. Yeah. So blood is screened. That's an interesting uh-huh. thing. They, they do it in a pool. So they'll take maybe like, there's 10 or 15 samples of blood that you've, you, you and all of the people in, the in deep line have end. donated. Yeah. I don't want to be in the deep end of that pool. pool <laughs> or the diving, the diving <laughs> really, board. really sketchy pool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they screen that whole, you know, blood mixture for viruses. And if any one of them come up positive, they ditch the whole batch because it's way more expensive to start testing them individually. Uh-huh. I think it's like 10 or so bags of blood that they test at once. But that's how we try to keep blood transfusion safe so that, you know, you don't go in a hospital needing blood because, I don't know, you've cut your arm on a weed whacker and all of a sudden come out with a chronic infection that's going to plague you for the rest of your life. That would be awkward. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> so if it only exists in blood, how did it, and that's the only way you get it generally, what, how did this What's going on here? It sounds like the, the chicken egg question with yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am not actually sure. Oh, a disease translate mainly transmitted through contaminated food and water. So I'm assuming uh, okay. if it's in the like, I guess it could. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm there's mm-hmm. different kinds, right? So A mm-hmm. hepatitis yeah. A is, comes from poor. Um, environmental conditions and then other things. Um, it usually always comes down to like poor environmental conditions. Like if you can't keep your water clean, mm, all mm. sorts of weird stuff is going to get into there that you wouldn't necessarily yeah. expect. But I mean, I guess think of it, how many times have you cut your hand and run it under the water? So yep. And that uh, it, the water is contaminated? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Well, if, if, if uh, you contaminate the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are the plague yeah. rat. Interesting. Say your entire town only has one source of water. You've, could maybe infect your whole town or something. It depends I, if there no sanitation. I can't imagine that. I mean, can you imagine, like, what if there was, like, a world leader who had some virus? That's totally inconceivable. There's no way any world that wouldn't would have so happen. irresponsible that would yeah. let themselves He get wouldn't caught. go outside, for instance, while he's in the hospital. He or she is in the hospital in peak. If somebody said he was, he's red hot. <laughs> <laughs> And um, grab a couple other guys, um, and yeah, go for anyway. Go outside. Sounds yeah. fake. Just be Sounds just fake. totally fake. That's right. Totally, yeah. <laughs> don't. Do, by the way, if you are a world leader and you are currently suffering from COVID, um, take take a vacation. Just take a break. Yeah. And isolate. So uh, back to hepatitis. That's not something I've ever heard. Back to hepatitis. <laughs> Good old yeah, it's not hepatitis. A, not a happy thing to hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so it, it's interesting, though. So basically, at some point, it entered, you know, it came from 
it comes from somewhere in the environment and uh, gets into somebody and now it's in the blood, but because it's in, in the blood, it sounds like it thrives in the blood. So like you were saying it might affect you your whole life. Yeah, so some forms of it are chronic. Some, some, some forms of hepatitis are chronic. Uh, hepatitis C? I actually can't remember off the top of my head. I should know. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's actually a very wide spectrum of hepatitis viruses. I think it goes up to like all the way up to like E or G. Hepatitis. So oh, wow. it's, they go a decent ch- enough chunk in the alphabet that I was kind of surprised when I first learned about that. Wow. Hepatitis, very fashion forward. Always evolving. <laughs> um, uh, well, this is wonderful. So congratulations. What might this mean for your lab? Honestly, I have no idea. It's going to be wild. I, uh, so this morning, I guess if anyone's curious about how I found out, because it gets announced at like, I think like five in the morning. Our time. Yeah, they call you. Sweden time. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, very regular time, Sweden time, but very, very early us time. Right. And I, I wake up, I hadn't turned my phone on, which is probably good because I got like a trillion text messages. <laughs> and I just go like wander out to the kitchen and my roommate turns around and goes, congrats. And I was like, what? What did I do? And she's like, Charlie won the Nobel. And of course, I was just like shell shocked for a good like 10, 15 minutes. And then my second question was, so does that mean we don't have that meeting today? <laughs> so... <laughs> Newsflash, we don't have that meeting. You could have slept. Um, I mean, I was going to be awake for this anyway, but it was just kind of funny. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know what it's going to necessarily mean for the lab. I guess Charlie might get a little busier, which, poor guy. Um, I think for the most part, a lot of us are going to be in shock. I don't know how much work is going to actually get done this week. Because I feel like <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's going to be us looking around at each other and be like, can you believe? And I think that's okay. Oh. So it's all right to take a little bit of time and... Process that. for one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and just tell us just a little bit about Charlie. What's he, what's oh, he like? And um... he's an extremely nice dude, just like an overwhelmingly nice dude, which is why I like not only could have not have gone to a better scientist, it couldn't have gone to a better person. He's just like been a very accessible mentor, despite, you know, running a big lab and being an extremely like impactful scientist before this. You, you can kind of just catch him around the office. Um, he usually makes sure we're stocked up on cookies in the lab. Like that's oh, nice. the kind of that guy. A like guy. No just, prize right there. Yeah, that's just a, just for the that's Trader the Keebler, Joe's. the Keebler uh, prize <laughs> <laughs> for the cookies. Um, and so, what what does what does it mean that he runs a lab? For instance, is it that like how does what does that mean? What what does he do? And what is you what is you go in and you you work on things? And so, what relation does that have to him? So he's sort of the big idea guy. So he's not necessarily involved in physically doing much stuff in the lab. Like, you know, you're not going to catch him at the hood behind you doing cell culture because a lot of his worth at the lab at this point is ideas. He knows so much. Like that's, I think this man has forgotten more than I will ever learn in my entire life. Just the amount of information he's able to just regurgitate is incredible. And because of that, he's a very good source of information. So if you're trying to figure out what's the best way of looking at this? He knows so much about like 20, 30 different viruses because that's the thing, you know, he's known for the hepatitis C stuff, but we've actually moved away from that a lot in the last couple of years. And we have all of like, I could name probably like 15 different viruses that people are working with in that lab. And he knows just almost everything about them. And it's a stunning amount of information. So he's now the lab like font of wisdom and also helps, you know, he gets the grants. So that's the money that comes into the lab. So it's 
it's definitely a lot of work. And on top of that, he gets, you know, asked to talk places and do lectures and he runs the virology class at Rockefeller. So. Oh, wow. Oh, still right teaches. That's great. Wow. So Matt, what do, what do, um, uh, for instance, the average person, uh, when they hear about, for instance, a Nobel prize winner or a prize, they, they imagine the people who are met, who are cited in the prize, obviously. Mm-hmm. Why we might intuitively know, yeah, they probably have some assistance or something. But the truth is, and I guess, and I really don't know a lot about this, that behind each of those people is a lab. But even that, what what does that mean in general? What when we see a person, what is it we should actually see behind them? Well, it's tough because the Nobel Prize comes from an era when science was done by uh, individuals or very small groups, right? Like three or four people. Um, often a whole family would be working on something, you know, mm. I think of the, the Curies for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but nowadays, uh, science is a group enterprise in a different kind of way. Um, as Gabby says, the, the head of the lab, isn't the person doing cell cultures. Um, it's the, the person who's, coordinating everyone else and thinking about the big picture and figuring out how to chop up a large technical problem into a bunch of um, tractable problems that can be worked on by individuals or small people, right? So a little bit Um, like a a general or something. Yeah, that's a good analogy, I think. And I also Um, think too, you know, this was like what, the late 80s, early 90s that this work mm-hmm. was coming out? Yeah. Mm. So that was, you know, 30 years ago now. He, you know, he, his role was a lot more hands-on towards that point in time because, you know, as the longer you've been in science and the longer you have a lab, sort of the more you pull away from, like, the direct roles. So, like, you see younger PIs, you'll catch them in the lab. Like, my, my PI um, at Stony Brook, she would occasionally come in, do mouse work and stuff like that even though it wasn't often, you know, she had a more direct role in the lab. So when you've, when, when you get to this field in science, you can kind of hands off a little bit. The ship sort of, I don't want to say runs itself, but mm. you definitely have a certain <laughs> amount of momentum. Because the viruses run so themselves. They, they, well, yeah, they That's will right. take off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is very exciting. Very exciting. So uh, congratulations to you and everyone in Dr. Rice's lab and to uh, also the labs. So uh, behind the other two, scientist as well uh, was it alter you said or um yeah alter and houghton i'm assuming i'm pronouncing that correctly. they are also Hopefully. i assume have labs or had labs so yeah a although lot of people Al- celebrating today yeah oh yeah definitely a lot of people celebrating <laughs> <laughs> also anyone who got cured or or you know at least some help with hepatitis c it's certainly yeah and and those Gratitude to not just these three men, but uh, to everyone in their labs. Uh, so you have some, uh, you, you've been doing some really like, basically, you, you put yourself on the line in terms of research. Tell us about what's happening with you. Yeah. You signed up for um, testing the very latest, the very latest uh, vaccine trials. Uh, and this particular one led by Pfizer, is that right? And uh, Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily call it the very latest because I feel like that implies the stuff that's like just getting into phase one that like we have no oh, okay. safety information right. for. Right. Okay. Yeah. This one is the one that's been trucking along since the beginning. Um, so I am in the Pfizer clinical trial for their RNA-based uh, vaccine. And I don't know if I'm placebo or vaccine because they don't tell you. 
Uh, but it was it was actually very interesting. Um, so if you want, I can outline, you know, yeah. what the visit was like, basically. Because yeah. you, you go in and you kind of just get asked like a whole panel of questions. And this is a lot of baseline stuff to determine, you know, additionally, if you're eligible, um, making sure that you, I guess, don't have a history of, I don't know, allergic reactions to vaccines. Because maybe, I don't know, you're allergic to egg and they need an egg protein in this vaccine or something uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um there, you get asked like a bunch of, they take blood, um, which I'm assuming is going to be used in part for just like a generic, um, they'd be like blood test, see if I'm like deficient in anything like that, which mm. might be important later to see like who mounts a successful immune response. Everyone deficient in X, Y, or Z doesn't. Oh, um, and also I think they use it for the serology test. So that's testing to see whether or not I have any pre-existing COVID antibodies. I yeah. One of their important questions is, have you had COVID before? And no. So... <laughs> They shouldn't expect to find any, um, but it would be interesting to see if people have some and they get better or stronger um, after the vaccine. And then they, you know, after they're done taking your whole baseline of measurements, the next thing that they do is they have to get the either virus, not virus, either the vaccine or placebo up from when they keep it in storage. So that actually takes like about an hour. Um, oh, wow. Because one of the things they have to do is um, apparently the vaccine and the placebo look a little different from each other. So they bring someone in who hasn't been working with you this entire time. And that's the person that injects you with the vaccine. It's someone someone randomly, not random. It's not like they get someone off the street. The street. <laughs> yeah. But they, they get someone else who hasn't been in the room and involved with you particularly and getting your stuff together for the trial. Because then that way, they I don't even think they know what you get assigned to group. And that's your placebo or or vaccine. It's kind of funny. I was sitting there. They told me what group I was in. And it was a little bit like um, being Vizzini in The the Princess Bride. Like trying to figure (laughs) out like, if I'm this group, uh, does that mean (laughs) I'm getting the placebo? Like, is group A get the vaccine? Or is that what they want you to think? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Matt, for those who don't know, what is, I mean, I think one of the most important things about these trials is the, and people hear the term, for instance, double blind. Or you know something like that. What what is this? Uh, what's all the what, what's, what's all, all the, the hoopla about? Yeah. Um, well, basically, it's because um, humans are untrustworthy, unreliable sacks of selfish meat. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the problem is that um, if people know whether they have the so I should say, actually, I'm take a step back. Um, you have two groups, right? You have the experimental group that's getting the thing you want to test. And then you have a control group um, that is not getting the things uh, you want to test. So then you can compare those two groups. Right. And so when Gabby says groups closer. Right. When Gabby says she was in a group. So in other words, you, you, you sign up for a trial and then you basically are put in one, I mean, Metaphorically, randomly yes. assigned. You're in a group. You're in, you go to this room and you go to that. You go to the left. You go to the right. One group is going to get the actual vaccine, and the other right. group is going to get the other group gets a be tricked into thinking. Exactly yeah. right because even it turns out that um, your your brain does amazing things. That if you know you're not getting it. Um, like they don't inject you with anything. They just say, yes, we're not giving this to you. Um, you will get sicker. Um, 
And similarly, if you think you are getting it, you'll get better. So that's what we mean when we, we say the placebo effect. So to control for that, we tell everybody that they're getting it, even if they're not. Um, so then and at least the placebo know, effect is neutral. But yeah, they all know they it's all... possible that they don't have it. Yeah. So then, as Gabby says, you get this princess bride kind of situation where you say, well, if I know that they know that I know whether or not I'm going to get the placebo, they must yeah. have given me the real thing. The Gabby, also- are you at all tempted to like take a sample of your blood and check? Not, I am I mean, not right now, certainly, because so you get the vaccine in, in two doses. Um, so the first dose is, you know, that that's just like you go for your first appointment and then you come back 21 days later and then they give you the second one because that seems to be the course that they've decided on for this vaccine that it works the best at. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have to be sometime after that if I was going to do it. I really have no idea exactly what the peak antibody response is. And I, I guess I'm tempted, but I also don't want to like be the fly in their ointment. Like if I, like I don't want to just break this yeah. by yeah. accident. You don't want to mess, mess with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it would be nice to know, but it's not ultimately not going to change anything about the way that I behaving. Cause I, I'm not like, Oh, I have a vaccine and I'm going to run out crazy and just start licking subway poles again. Again, right. like I, that, that I mean, there's you <laughs> anyway. You don't need. Yeah, you, you don't know? need to be at a trial to be tempted to do that. Everyone, everyone has that urge. Yeah, everyone does. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and that, that's one of the reasons why too they they have it's you know double blind. They don't tell the vaccinated group that they got actually vaccinated because then if you're treating it like you're immune, there's a chance that you might not actually be good at like you might not have a good enough immune response to protect you, and then all of a sudden you see all of the experimental group get COVID just because they're taking infinitely more risks. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they, they kind of want you to keep your behavior the same. And it's not just the patients, right? It's it's the um, the scientists are also, when Gabby mentioned someone else yeah. comes in the room, mm-hmm. the scientist who you're working with is kept in the dark. Yeah, so that's, that's a mm-hmm. double blind. So blind experiment. Uh, double blind means neither the uh, people being ex- experimented on nor the experimenters know which is which. Um, And that's important too, because researchers also have these unconscious biases or sometimes conscious. Um, And we want, if you really want to make sure that the thing is having the effect uh, you think it is, and it's not just a um, a selection effect, uh, then you need to be careful with that. Yeah. And it also, go ahead, Gabby. Oh, I was going to say, it also might be important too for like, say, the doctor knows who's getting the experimental treatment. So then they tell them the full list of symptoms they might expect. But say for the placebo group, it's just like, hey, maybe you'll get like a headache, whatever. And just like doesn't bother going through everything. So say, for example, then you start seeing different rates in side effects that aren't actually due to the drug. It's due to reporting differences because the placebo group doesn't know that that might be a side effect or whatever. They So they don't record it. So yeah. meanwhile it seems like everyone in the experimental group gets headaches, but it just so happens that, you know, the placebo group wasn't told to write down if they get headaches. So. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I think I, those who don't really understand the scientific process, the scientific method, for instance, don't understand the amount of psychology or, or <laughs> anti-psych, or, you know, the amount of psychology mm-hmm. that is taken into account, which is quite brilliant. I mean, the, the, the brain that has all this, creates all these problems is also the same brain that says, all right, well, let's outsmart, you know, 
the brain. Um, and, and the amount of pressure, I mean, can you imagine the forces on this uh, for the companies, for instance, I'm sure Pfizer wants to be the one and any company yeah. and he, mm-hmm. and any doctor or, you know, who just is some just like somebody could get a Nobel Prize. There's Nobel Prizes, the future Nobel Prizes here mm-hmm. for whoever finds the vaccine that saves the world. Yeah, that <laughs> you know? nice, right? Yeah. Um, right. The world. I mean, there's never well, I want to say there's never been a situation like this, but, in, you know, this doesn't happen that often that you have a completely yes, a global yeah. So um, it's to their credit that the drug companies allow this system to happen where they try to remove those who uh, might be um, very eager to see some result, a positive result on their side uh, from knowing at all what's going on. They're willing to let them oh, yeah. be blinded, basically. Well, and this is part of why I say, you know, people like there's been talk about like, oh, this vaccine is super rushed. The part that's not being rushed is the science. The part that's being rushed rushed is actually the sort of economic part of it. Because even before they know if it'll work, even right now when they're still testing it out, phase two, three trial, they're scaling up production. Normally, you don't actually start making the vaccine until it's gotten like like FDA approval and whatnot. Mm. And, you know, it's gone through all phases of the trial and you don't make normally for the trial, you don't really make any more doses than you're going to enroll people. Right. So you don't make any more than like 20,000 doses of placebo and 20,000 doses of vaccine. Mm-hmm. But they're cranking out millions of doses of vaccine in the hopes that they get approval and would be able to immediately release it. So that's what's rushed. It's, it's basically just that there's going to be no gap between when it gets approval and when they can start sending out vaccines, which is very unprecedented. Right, right. Although it seems prudent. I mean, why not? Yeah, like, it's smart. It seems like it's definitely smart. As long as they're willing to, no, this is the, the tricky part, is as long as they're willing to throw away, if they've manufactured millions of something that it turns out not to be good. Yeah, then they got to toss they'll throw it, it out and not send it down the, the drugstore. Have people yeah. yeah. Um, right on. All right. So um, lastly, what is, what is the time scale of this uh, program you're in? Is there So it's actually point? like two years. Two years. So this is one of the really interesting things about science. So I go in for the first visit. That was last week. And then 21 days later, I get the second injection of either placebo or vaccine. I've been taken to calling it vaccine question mark. Um, (laughs) Just in all of my text messages to my friends. Um, And then you go in for another visit, I want to say six months later, and then a year later, and then two years later. And what this is for, and, and every week I actually have a digital journal that I have to log any potential symptoms in. And the Mm -hmm. reason for this is that they want to keep track of everyone in the group to make sure that no one is developing anything weird. Mm -hmm. So it'd be weird if a year and a half from now, a huge chunk of the experimental group started getting some, say, autoimmune condition. Again, not expected. But if you stop following these people after six months, you would never know. So that's why they want to keep following us for as long as possible. So they know any potential, say, complications, then they know what they're coming from. Because if random people say, oh, I got the, it's, it's like the vaccines, autism, air quotes, link. Like Mm -hmm. if a whole bunch of people a year from now who got the vaccine when it's released say, oh, but I also got chronic headaches now. So it must be from that. And it's like, no, you're just chronically dehydrated. You know, Uh, keeping track of the actual control group to tell if there's any difference between the people who got the vaccine and the people who didn't. Right. So you're going to keep track of every 
headache and hair follicle for the next two years. Yeah, I mean, not anything as crazy as like, I guess, random shedding. Because my God, I have a lot of hair. I shed. That that's never a <laughs> symptom. Um, but I am yeah, like biased. if yeah, <laughs> if I start having like a headache or something like that, I yeah, I have to record it. Yeah. And do, but does this mean that it, they won't release a vaccine for at least two years? Sounds like they're no. On, so yeah. they they still will release a vaccine, and we are allowed to get the vaccine when it does come out. Like oh. even if we might have, you know, been vaccinated before. I actually I need to double check if they'd tell us then. Because um, I don't think they would tell us. Um, right. And I think right. then after that, we just go and get vaccinated. Um, can't imagine it would do anything really different if you get a vaccine again. You'd be getting like a double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you might be yeah. even better. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, or, or who knows? <laughs> but at least that'll be part of the study, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, if, if yeah, exactly. you take this like much the, of it or whatever. It's fortunately not like a risk in the fact that like if I'm participating in the study for the 50% chance of getting it earlier, it's not like then that disqualifies me from getting it once it actually does get released, whatever, six months, a year from now. Right. So sorry, did you say, or do we know at what point, suppose this one, your, suppose the trial you're involved in, uh, whether you have actually gotten the actual vaccine or the placebo, but suppose the vaccine that they're testing, that Pfizer is testing, is, seems to be going okay. And what's the earliest they might safely re release that to the public? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. So I think they have some data already because there are a bunch of people who have already gone through and been injected with the second dose. Um, so they've had their yeah. blood collected already for the second time just to see what kind of immune response they mounted the first time. And that's probably going to be honestly pretty good. So they could go forward with it. I think, though, they're waiting, really, on, on more people because mm -hmm. I'm in, like, the last – I think I'm in, like, the last week that people were allowed to roll. I squeaked in. Um, oh, and I think that they want to wait until maybe towards, like, later this month before they actually start looking over all the data and developing any conclusions. And I see it being released maybe towards, like, early December, mm -hmm. end of November, early December, I think. Well, um, well, but right. that's like a very positive estimate. I don't know if they're going to take longer, which I think they should. But I know this is a global pandemic and people are dying and there are plenty of reasons why they might want to just say, all right, cool. From the 15,000 people we have instead of the 20,000 who are injected with the experimental, there's our conclusions. Yeah. I think for this, at least in this country, having it after election day would be like election day. Might be a good Once you get past election day, there's no more. I don't think, I honestly don't think it's going to be ready for, by then because it's right. like, even if, even if they manage to crunch all the numbers or whatever. November 3rd in this country. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost exactly a month from now. I don't think that they're going to have everything fully analyzed by then. And even if they did, then actually turning the great wheels of getting it sent out to places is going to be difficult. Yeah. That's the other thing. How long will it take? Even though they're pre-manufacturing, they're sort of pre-ordering their own vaccines. Um, getting it out there is going to take a little while but still yeah. very it's exciting to know that there's progress and oh, yeah. um um matt what could what the, what's the lesson we can take from the fact that um gabby's uh mentor today won a nobel prize for something that uh, i'm guessing was seen as a nightmare you know at the uh, time yeah on, on um, the world. is that uh smart people can make the world a better place and every now and then we get to reward them for that. 
Yeah, yeah. right on, right on. And these things can be beat. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's incredible. Mm-hmm. They're, they're talking about, for instance, hepatitis, and we can talk about other diseases, I guess, like smallpox that, um, and polio, things that may eventually either have or may eventually be eradicated. From I think planet. polio actually just got eradicated from Africa. I think I was reading. Mm. Oh wow! So like that, like that, we passed like a big milestone recently. Wow! Amazing, amazing. Um, all right, so let's take a little bit of good news. A lot of good news, and we can celebrate those who strive and those who help them. All the uh, mm-hmm. people like Gabby and everyone in that lab, uh, and all the other labs around the world. Uh, m- Coming up on uh, Friday, you'll have our, our regular show, What the If, in which we uh, in which we fill in the blank, Matt. What, what, we what happens? toy with the very essence of nature and change something about reality and then uh, run with the consequences and hopefully yep. learn something along the way. Anything can happen on What the If, and, uh, and then every Monday we have What the If News with Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. Thank you all for listening. Um, stay tuned and stay well. Oh, and subscribe to us. Uh, if you haven't done it already, right there on your podcast app, you can hit subscribe. If you could also, I just find I've never saved the music for this part. It's very motivating. <laughs> Leave us a review uh, and a rating on your podcast. We would really appreciate that. And uh, if you do, send us, uh, contact us and tell us uh, what you said. Now, I, I will make sure to get it and, and read it on the show. We'd really appreciate it. What do people think? I'd love to start reading your thoughts. Uh, you can also go to whattheif.com and find all our episodes, both the news and the regular show where we destroy the universe every week. Um, and you can leave us a message right there on the page. On Twitter, we are at whattheifshow. Follow, 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 retweet, 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 share, repeat. See everybody next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>